Hi, this is Mike Howe from Metal Church, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another edition of Focus on Metal, hopefully bringing a little bit of respite into uh, what is probably your quarantined metal world. So this week, we bring you two great returning guests to the show. First up, we'll be talking with uh, vocalist Mike Howe from Metal Church about uh, Metal Church's latest release. It's called From the Vault. And if you haven't ordered your own copy yet, then I would definitely suggest you go up to ratpackrecordsamerica.com slash metal-church, and they have all different varieties, just like Rat Pack always does, for you to get your own copy of From the Vault. And in true Rat Pack Records fashion, they even have this sucker available on cassette. And after our chat with Mike, we'll follow that up with a chat with David Sanchez from Havoc. And Havoc has a brand new one coming out on May 1st. It is called, quite fittingly, Five. And uh, why? Because it's their fifth album. So there you go. Uh, We had David, in fact, we had the whole band on for uh, the release and tour for Conformicide, which was their last one. And uh, if you remember way back, if you've been listening for a while, you know that Richie did that on the on the tour bus with them, just hanging out in front of the Worcester Palladium. This time, though, Richie got on the phone with David, and they had a good long chat about what's going on with Havoc, what's going on with the new bass player, the new release, everything else going on in the world of Havoc Thrash. And just like Rat Pack, there's all kinds of bundles available for this one as well. You can head up to Havoc Band, and that's H-A-V-O-K band.com and they have got a ton of different packages you can get vinyl cds all kinds of stuff t-shirts you you know the drill but again head up to havocban.com but don't do that right now right now why don't you stick around as richie gets on the line with mike howe of metal church hey mike hey richie how's it going not too bad you're on the west coast i am and you are where i am just outside of boston all right. Um, you like doing interviews first thing in the morning, then? Uh, yeah, I like to get them going when my brain is fresh, and then uh, I've got a lot of other things I can take care of during the day. Yeah. Okay, okay. When my co-host a couple of years ago, he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to interview Michael Shanker, and I told him he was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his answer to me was, it's Michael Shanker, and I said, I don't care if it's Michael Jackson, I'm staying in bed. <laughs> I think I would feel the same. <laughs> so you're you're obviously stuck at home. You're not uh, you're not going stir crazy yet. No, not yet. No, I I can keep myself pretty busy at my house. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. so so I'm here to talk about the uh, the new record from the vault that's coming out. Um, yes. What when was the initial idea brought to you about this? Uh, what what was your initial thoughts about the idea? Well, we have all this uh, extra music laying around, and uh, I think it's just a natural thing for bands to do uh, when they have extra outtakes or things they put together over time that didn't make it to albums to put it out in this kind of format. And, uh, you know, it was brought to our... We've been talking about it for a year at least, so uh, we felt it was time to do that. And uh, 
since we we've decided to take this year off and uh, focus on writing a new record, so we thought we wanted to get some also some other material out there for the fans uh, that are sitting around that maybe they haven't heard in the mm. meantime. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the new tracks first. Um, did you think you had enough in the vault anyway to just release it as is, or like whose idea was it to actually write new songs for it? Well, we're always trying to write new songs. That's part of our uh, artistry, you know. So Kurt and I, we always want to keep those juices flowing. We don't want to go too long in between writing and recording because that's what keeps us excited and our head in the game, you know. We don't want to be a band that just uh, tours and doesn't write because I like new music and we like making new music. So that's really the motivation behind that is we had some time off uh, in the years past and in between record in between touring and that so we get together in his studio and just write write a few tracks and see what happens and, and basically that that's how that uh, comes about mm, Mike it must be refreshing writing just a couple of songs because normally like you're going to write an album you're going to write like 10 or 14 tracks you're going to have, yeah. have a vision on how it's going to sound it's got to have ebbs and flows in it, you know, the, the pacing of the tracks and all that, where when you're done, you're doing like a couple of tracks, you can really just kind of do what you want. You can leave it, come back to it. You're not tied to the other tracks that you've already written, that kind of a deal. Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. And uh, yeah, so it's not an immersion for months into a, a full album. And so that's the point of what uh, you were just getting at is we got together just over like a long weekend in knock those three tracks out, just something that came out naturally and said, hey, here we go. Uh, it was refreshing. Hmm. And they're all more or less fast-paced. Like Dead on the Vine opened up the record. I'm like, wow, holy shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it's sort of the mindset of an album, but in a small burst because Kurt, you know, he always likes to mix it up in his riff style. So when you're getting together just for a few songs over a long weekend or whatever he's gonna try to mix it up that way but he always throws a nice fashion there because he knows that i like the, the speedier stuff and he likes the rocks more rock side so that's like our, our combo together and so uh yeah it, it, it worked out uh better than we thought it would mm. <laughs> was it was a part it, it was a spontaneous thing you know which is like we try to do approach all our music that way you know and just feel spontaneous and not really uh, beating it into the ground and over thinking it mm. did part of you think in the back of your mind that one or two of these songs are too good that maybe we should keep them for the next record <laughs> yeah I had that thought for sure especially uh, Dead on the Vine but then I thought uh, well we that just means that we just hit the right uh, just as good as songs and better songs for the actual album so uh, I feel good about that I think we can do that mm. now let's talk a minute Mike about the B-sides to Damned, from the Damned If You Do sessions mm -hmm. um, do you normally go in for a record with five, six, seven extra tracks because I know the first record you did when you came back, uh, Rat Pack released a, an extra version with like five or six studio extra tracks on that too Right. Yeah. So that's basically what happens is we don't, we don't write like two or three extra songs. We're like 18 songs to 20 songs, you know, and they, not all of them come to fruition or completion. 
uh, and some are like halfway done and we halfway through went, yeah, this is not working. And we just step aside and, and then some of them get full completion and go, well, those, that one, that one's not, uh, as good as the other 10 that we're choosing to go on the album. So as far as we like, you know, it's not necessarily that it's a, a worse song or anything. It's just not, uh, something that we feel fit in that record. So that's basically how it goes. And, and, we experimented on Damned If You Do with uh, doing some cover songs, uh, which we hadn't done. Uh, I'd never done uh, with the band. They did Highway Star in the first record, but, you know, Kurt and I are not big cover song guys, but we decided to give it a shot this time around. And uh, he he suggested everybody come in with the song and try to, you know, cover five songs and see what happens. And, uh, those two songs are the ones that rose to the top that we really liked how they came out. So that's how they, they made it. Mm. Sometimes Mike, when it comes to bands doing this with extra studio tracks, um, it can, you know, some fans might go, well, it never made the record. There's a reason it never made the record because none of them are as good. Or it, the songs sounded very similar to the songs that are on the record. There's a lot of, you know, question marks that some fans might have, uh, when bands do go in and release the songs that actually never made it in the first place. Yeah. Oh, I completely understand that. That's actually how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were you were kind of nervous about releasing no, the stuff that never made it? No, no, no. I'm just, that's my insecurities, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We all have insecurities. That's just my insecurities. But, you know, my record company guy, Joe, who's awesome, and, you know, Kurt, and, like, no, these songs are good. We should, oh, yeah. And then I listen to them again. I'm like, oh, yeah, they are. So, <laughs> you know, it's like revisiting things later on, you know, because when you're doing them and you're in, in the, the thick of writing a whole record and you're immersed in it for months and months, it, it's, you lose, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you, uh, that song, I'm done with that song. And then later, if you look, listen back to it, like a year or two later and go, hey, that wasn't as, as yeah, <laughs> as painful as I thought it was, right? Yeah, so, Mike, did you ever, second chance. Mike, did you ever get um, annoyed at a song that never made a record because you put a lot of effort into it emotionally to get it right, and then in the end, it's like, yeah, we're not putting it on the album. Well, I don't get annoyed. No, I'm just uh, like, uh, I don't want to waste any more energy on that and let it go, and it's not a big deal, you know, because we've got a lot more creativity to, to do, you know, here and uh, focus on the stuff that I love mm. the stuff that I, I'm not interested in. And it's, uh, it's all, we don't overthink it. That's the great thing about Kurt and my relationship is like, we both are on the same page. If, if, if we like it, it's just about feeling for us. You know, do we feel it? Is it grooving us? Is it rocking us? And if we both aren't feeling the same feeling towards it, then we move on. It's not like, Oh, I like it. I want to keep it on. There's never like a, a struggle like, well, I'm going to, I really want this one on there. You know, I know you don't like it. It's not like that. It's like, if you don't like it and I don't like it, we both have to like it. Mm, I get you. Yeah. Now yeah. the covers on the, on that are very interesting um, because th they're not like what I'd call heavy metal covers at all. Right. Um, right. Which one did you bring into the band to cover? Yeah. Well, I, I suggested Black Betty and Seth Howland suggested uh, the Green Eyed Lady song. So I don't really like to 
pigeonhole us into metal because when you're doing a cover, it's yeah, you try to make it a harder edge metal song, mm. and I think I think that's what we kind of did. But I think we're still what I like about our band is we're kind of a hard rock metal band at times, you know, sometimes like monkey thinker stuff like that, you know, or sometimes we have just rock songs that we, because of my aggressive vocal style, they sound more metal, you know, but Kurt, Kurt likes rock bands and I like more of the hard stuff. So that's what a mix of our styles together turns out with metal church, I believe. Hmm. The, the please don't Judas me. You're singing on that, especially in the beginning is, I think it's unlike anything you've done on a metal church record before. Yeah, and I really wanted to do that cover for a few, you know, years actually. When we first started talking about covers, I wanted to do "Don't Judas Me" to see how it went, and uh, so that I think that was the impetus of us trying some more covers. I, th- I think, Mike, as well, that your choice of covers. There's going to be people out there that would listen to that, and. I'm not saying the bands are obscure, but the, the cover choice you have isn't obvious. They might actually think, yeah, they are actually metal church songs. Oh, well, that's cool to think. Uh, yeah, well, that I mean that's what you hope happens, right? Hmm. Mm. So the the other bonus tracks are on it um, are from the, the first record you did when you when you came back. Um, was there anything else from from the fir- the two albums you've done since you came back that? you actually worked up and, and finished that didn't make this? Uh, there probably are some, you know, I can't, I can't say for sure because I, I, the last interview asked the same question. And I said, I think there's always something in Kurt's computer, you know, that we've done over the last four years that is probably in there and hasn't risen to the top or whatever reason. And, when we get back together and start the new record, we might explore those kind of things and look at it a little closer. But uh, these songs that we picked right here were uh, things that we felt should have been released, but just didn't have the room on the albums we've done. And so we wanted to bring that to light. Mm. Mike, what about anything from the first time you're in the band from Blessing in Disguise or The Human Factor? Was there anything you revisited from back then to see if it would work? Well, we did the the conductor song yeah so that yeah so that was a suggestion of our um record company guy joe o'brien at rat pack he's he's a good friend and he works really hard for our band and we really love him and appreciate what he does and he he's the one who suggested that and asked if i would do that because he had, he had dubbed me the conductor on the facebook page so uh he just thought that would be a a cool thing to do so i of course obliged him because uh he's worked really hard for us yeah i actually know joe Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's definitely committed to the bands that he has on the label. Yes, he is. Mm. So here's an might be an, an oddball question for you. Um, and I asked Kurt this, and I'll give you, I'll tell you what Kurt told me after I, I asked the question. Would you ever consider singing one of the Ronnie Monroe songs in the future? Um, I have to. Um Actually, no, uh, because it's not it's not a personal thing or anything. It's just I want to sing, first of all, new music that we're writing now, relevant, that we're writing, because I'm, I'm back in the band because of new music. 
uh, if we weren't writing new music, and I, I've said this in many interviews over the years, and Kurt backs me up, is the only reason I'm here is because I want the next record to be good, you know? Um, and once we do a record and we tour it, I'm not back in the band. I'm like, I'm out of the band until we write another record. <laughs> I mean, hmm. that mentality, you know, I'm not really out of the band, but you know what I mean? I want new music. We want new music because that's what keeps us, keeps me excited about being in the band. If, if, if I were just in the band to come go out and tour and play all the old songs and not have new music, I wouldn't do that because I need new music in the set. Uh, and uh, to make it, you know, exciting and, and viable. So uh, that's what keeps us going: is the thought and the prospect of of being creative and coming up with new stuff. Kurt gave Mike yeah. Kurt Kurt. That's what Kurt said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I know because we we know each other. Yeah, so yeah, there's. I do the Dave stuff that I did when I was in the band back in the day. And those are the songs I do on Dave's because I've done those and um, I pay homage to Dave because he was the original singer and I've done those songs. So that's why we do that. Hmm. Did you listen to the Ronnie Monroe stuff when it was released? Did you fo- keep following the band? I I did not. I mean, I, I, I would say I did a, a glance, a quick listen to them, but... No, I'm not, I don't know. Um, I personally, it's nothing against Ronnie. He's a great singer. And, uh, but I felt for me, uh, his style was very close to Dave's style. You know, that, that screaming, yeah. which, which is a great style. You know, that's Dave Wayne did it great. Right. So to me, it's not a slight against Ronnie, but he was more like a Dave clone kind of thing for me. So it wasn't something that I was interested in hearing per se. So, uh, which is just wasn't something that I uh, enjoyed listening to. So mm. uh, it wasn't my style. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, let's talk a minute, Mike, about the comic book that's coming out with this. Uh, whose idea was that? Uh, Joe O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 got he's a hardworking guy and trying all sorts of different things. And yes, that's what we think. And he said, "Ah, that's that's hilarious. Let's give it a try." You know, at first I'm like, I'm 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 an older dude, so I'm like, "Wow, really? There are people out there going to comic book up us?" And he's like, "Yeah, they would." I'm like, "Okay, if you say so, Joe." And I trust Joe 100. percent So he said, "Let's go for it." Yeah. Have you have seen? You, have you seen it? Oh, Yes, yes, I have. He gave me, he would send me, uh, you know, proof pages, uh, every page that got done. Yes, I was there. We were through through the whole process with him. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, the day I'm talking to you, um, it's around the same time as the anniversary of uh, the Human Factor. Um, I want to know what what your memories are of, of recording that and the, and the time it was recorded in. So there were there was very good memories and very bad memories all mixed in at the same time. It was, it was a exciting and stressful time in my life because, uh, we were going through management changes right as we were going in the studio, we got in a fight with our manager and we were breaking up with our manager. So when we went in the studio in North Hollywood to record hanging uh, the human factor, we were, manage we had no manager and uh the manager we were 
had, we were getting, we were in a bit of a tiff with, so it was stressful that way. But uh, writing the songs with Kurt, because that was my first session uh, after Blessing the Skies, getting together with Kurt and writing a record. That was our first time together doing that. So those were the songs that were given birth to in our first uh, attempt to write a record, he and I. And uh, so that was exciting. And then taking it in the studio, a real studio, Mark Dodson and the guys and playing it was very exciting. But uh, at the same time, it was a little stressful business-wise. It was stressful, and, and that's the thing about the music business. Hmm. How, how did Mark Dodson push you as a vocalist in the studio, or, or did he just let you sing? No, he... He was he was very good with me. He would you know he was very sync and trying to get uh, the best performance out of me. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed working with Mark. Um, I I'm more comfortable working with Kurt, obviously as a producer and a writer and writing partner because he and I hit it off together the very first time when I was singing in the studio for the Heretic record. So I was used. That was my first experience with the producer was Kurt Vanderhoof producing Heretics record, and he he was such a giving producer and uh, you know easy to talk to and real made you relaxed. And Mark Mark was more not in a bad way. He was more methodical, you know. And okay, take two. I love you. Take two. You know, whatever. And uh, but he got he he got great performances out of me in his way. Mm, mm. I per- I personally think taking the new records aside that the human factor is probably the best one you did the first time you were in the band. I don't know whether you agree with me or not. Well, uh, you mean out of all the records up to date? No, no take out Damned If You Do and, and, and Eleven. The first batch uh-huh. that you did, I think the human factor is the best one. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's got a lot of energy. I really listen to it and there's yeah a lot of great songs and it's powerful he did a good job and uh, I wish the mix were a little better but that's the way it goes you know when you listen back in those studios and uh, mm. but, but the performances were, were really good it's funny you mentioned the mix because I'm not a fan of the Blessing in Disguise mix and it's ama- it amazes me because Terry Date did it and he did Pantera and all these amazing records and I, I, I bought Blessing in Disguise, I still actually have the vinyl copy and some of it I'm like, the mix is just, it's muddy, it, I, I just, it didn't, I just didn't like it. It's her, it's horrendous. Kurt and I cringe when we hear it, we can't listen to it, it's very difficult, you know. Mm. We wish, that that is a big wish is that we could remix that record and make it sound way better. But yeah, it's it's way too roomy. My voice is lost in the background and yeah, it's it's a bit difficult to listen to. I can't I can't listen to it actually. Mm. Did, did you ever think of re recording some of those songs in the studio to make them sound oh, better? Yeah. Well we did Badlands, yeah, we recorded Badlands again and uh, we did we did the remake of Fake Healer. Yeah, so we did a couple uh, remakes of, of well, a couple of those songs off that record. Yeah, what about the rest of them at some stage? Maybe. Well, maybe, yeah. You never know. We we thought about it a couple of years ago because the anniversary of Blessing Skies you know, was coming up and it just never came to fruition because we were too busy writing a new record and touring and all that. Mm. So, so, Mike, when do you think you're going to start writing for the new record? Well, we were, you know... 
we consciously, uh, ironically now, but uh, we consciously took this year off of touring to uh, let Kurt uh, revisit uh, Presto Ballet, his other band, his prog band, and, and which he's been neglecting for a few years because Metal Church, and he wanted to do that for a little while. And uh, you know, the guys have other projects, and you know, just kind of uh, regroup and relax a little, and, and write a record this year. And uh, luckily, we're, we're spared the you know what's happening now out there and being on tour. So. I don't know what that means, but it's good that we're not on the road. But now we were going to start uh, writing after Kurt was done doing his, uh, his prog band stuff. But uh, now that everything is happening, that is happening now, we have to reassess and see when we can start doing that. Mm. So, so Mike, how are you going to keep up your singing chops then? Uh, are you oh. do you sing with someone else, or or what do you do? No, I'm not really. I don't really worry about my chops because. I, I was out of the game for 25 years and I came back and uh, I still had them. So I think I, I have my technique. I know what my technique is and I don't think I'll ever lose that uh, because I've, it's like riding a bike. Hmm. You, have mus- you have muscle memory, you have uh, singing memory. What I do is when it's time to sing, then I, then I get, you know, get a little practice in and it doesn't take long to get back in shape. Hmm. Mike, what's the sickest you've ever done a show? Oh my God! Uh, I have to say, this coming back to the band that in, at my age, I think that all this touring of Europe, we toured Europe a lot more than we ever have uh, because of you know the popularity of metal over there still. And I, I, I actually have gotten uh, sick way too many times on the road in the last four years because of uh, I think it's uh, a lot of it is. It, it, attributes to me wanting to meet the fans and shake their hands and hug them and do selfies and we're in close contact with the fans and a multitude of fans a lot more than we've ever been in my life so i think the hazard of that is you know getting germs and illnesses from your fans and it's tough to you know as we went through and got sick, people, uh, guys in the band are like, we should stop, you know, shaking hands and doing that stuff. It's just getting us sick. And I'm like, well, I can't really do that because that's something that I really, you know, love doing and need to do. So I was, I think it was a Barcelona rocks. Was it Barcelona? Yeah. I was really ill and had to go out and, and sing. So, not only had to sing at the Barcelona Rocks, but I had to get on a plane the next day and fly to Moscow and play in Moscow. And I was really sick there too. And that was the end of the tour. And so I was sick in Moscow and then had to fly the next day all the way back to the States. So that was a little bit rough. Yeah. I I think (laughs) the guys who play the instruments can probably hide it a little bit more, but you rely on your voice. It's your physical voice. That if, if, if you're even around them, the chances are you're going to get sick. So I, I, under, I understand completely what you're saying. Yeah. So the thing about having technique, uh, vocal technique, and is I could lay around all day just feeling miserable, even feverish and all that. But when I get on stage and start sweating and screaming, it's kind of, I feel better. You know what I mean? Because I'm not just laying there feeling horrible. I get up and I'm, physically letting it out and sweating it out and and my voice is usually still there i don't lose my voice because it's technique i just feel like shit <laughs> <laughs> mike are you some are you, are you someone who uh 
you'll actually be honest with the audience and say, look, I'm feeling under the weather. I'll do the best that I can. Or do you just hide it? Um, it depends. You know, it depends on how visual, how how sick I am and whether I feel that it's it's coming out or not and showing. If it's showing, which I said, I can usually hide it and just do the performance if my voice is still there because it takes a lot. My voice doesn't go away very easily. I'm lucky that way. So I don't lose my voice very often at all. So, but if I'm under the weather and I feel like I'm really struggling, uh, I'll totally be honest. Yeah, I, I think that's part of being an entertainer for me and connecting to the crowd is showing, showing your vulnerability, you know, and it coming through and they, they respond in kind and they're, they support you and you feel better because you feel them supporting you. Hmm. Have you ever done a show, Mike, and um, you felt really ill and you didn't tell the band and then you told the band after the show and they looked at you saying you didn't sound sick? Yeah, yeah. No, it's usually I tell the band, man, I feel like shit, I'm sick as a dog. They know it, they see me, I'm on the, I'm on the bus with them and then I go do the show and after the show, they're like, what the fuck? You're really <laughs> sick. How did you do that? <laughs> it's called adrenaline. It's adrenaline, you know? That's what it is. It all kicks in. I mean, it's a crazy thing, what I do. I mean, it's it's very what what metal singers do. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a very unique and thing to come out because I'm a pretty calm person normally, so I'll, I'll come out and sit on the side of the stage, all calm and, you know, breathe and meditate a little to, you know, stay calm and then step out on the stage and then immediately just start yelling at the top of my lungs for an hour to an hour and a half like a madman. And you go, who does this for a job? <laughs> and, and, and why would you do that, right? <laughs> That's a strange occupation. I know, I know. Mike, well, i got to leave you go. Um, highly recommend this from the vault. There's some great stuff on it. Um, I appreciate that, Richie. Um, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get the record or maybe get in touch with the band? Yeah, sure. Well, it's uh, Rat Pack Records, uh, uh, metalchurch.com, and uh, the Facebook page for uh, Metal Church. Is, is There's a store there you can buy the records through, and... I think they usually re- release it through FYE and some other outlets that way, but they can go right to the Facebook page or the metalchurch.com and, and find all those good information there. All right, Mike. Well, keep the music coming and I'll keep help promoting it. Thank you so much, Richie. I appreciate you very much and I appreciate all the Metal Church fans out there. All right, Mike. Take care of yourself. Have a good rest of the day. All right. You too, Richie. All right. All right, no muss, no fuss this week. That was uh, Richie's talk with Mike Howe. Why don't we get uh, right back to it and get on the line with David Sanchez talking all about what's going on with the world of Havoc. Hey, David, how you doing? Doing all right. How about you? Good. Um, I'll reintroduce myself. I, um, I interviewed the band. You played in the Worcester Palladium with Anthrax about two years ago, and I interviewed all four of you guys on the bus before the show. So, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I figured when the new record will come around, I'll uh, I'll try and help you guys promote it. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for that. No problem. So, do you still think with everything that's going on that the album is going to come out on May the first, or are they going to push it back? No, I think it's still going to come out same day. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you guys okay with that? Because I know there's other other labels are trying to push the albums back a bit more. 
uh, it's really hard to stop that train once it's already in motion toward a certain date. Even with this going on, we've already asked about it, and uh, from what I understand, there's no way it's getting pushed. Okay. So, uh, on the good side of that, uh, a lot of people are probably still going to be locked down at home, and hopefully everyone will have some time to listen to our record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how are you doing anyway? You're, you're obviously stuck at home, too. Yeah. Uh, I've been at home for, you know, pretty much since it was recommended to do that. Oh. I mean, I still take my dogs out for a short walk and hang out on my patio and stare at the sky. But <clears throat> for the most part, yeah, I've been I've been at home which isn't too terribly different for me because I'm often uh, working from home anyways. Right now I'm working on a band's mix um, of their record, and uh, it's something that I've been working on for a while anyways. So, so you're, stuff's not too you're, terribly different for me. So you're, you're in a position where you're not relying on the band for, your, for all of your income, that you, can, you have something else that you can do from home while you're not yeah, out on the road. Right. All of us are that way. We don't make enough money. Definitely don't make anywhere close to enough money to survive solely from touring. That's the dream. If someday we can make enough money on tour to where we don't have to work in between, that's uh, that's the ultimate goal. Mm. D- David, you're uniquely qualified to answer this question because for many people now, they're going to be stuck at home for hours on end in the one room or the house or whatever. And you've toured a lot and you've been stuck on a bus for a lot of time with the same guys. Is it easier for you to be stuck at home because you've done that for many years or is it just a completely different set of circumstances? Well, I mean, when you're on tour, you get into a routine. And although the routine is the same, kind of the same drill every day um, and you're around the same people and in the same vehicle. The difference is when you're on the road, although you're stuck in that routine, you're in a new place every day. So you're doing the same thing, but you're in a different environment every day, which keeps it kind of exciting and, you know, gives you something new to look at every day. When you're at home, you look out your windows and you virtually see the same stuff every day. So I, I think that's the biggest difference. And being stuck at home is, uh, I don't know, I guess it, it is kind of like being on tour, except you never get to the venue. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot, a lot of bands are announcing that because they're not touring that they might as well go ahead and write new music. Um, you've got a new record coming out in a few weeks. Will you even, even attempt to write, or will you just leave all of that? When I have some free time and I'm able to actually put my headspace there, I would love to write some new music. You know, if, if I don't have any work to do after I'm wrapped up with these projects, uh... Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why I, I couldn't be writing. If it's not music, at least lyrics, or um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as everybody else in the band's availability. If I could get together with Pete or something, I would love to write with him. It's challenging for us to write because the 
half of the band doesn't live in the state. So when we were writing the new record, we, because of the, the internet and, uh, you know, the technology of like pro tools that we were able to basically have a recording session in the cloud on the internet that was available to all of us to download and then we could add to it and modify it and then re-upload it to the cloud. And that's how we were bouncing ideas back and forth oh. remote. So that, that option still exists. We'll just see where we're at as far as uh, everyone's availability and uh, creativity levels and things like that. Mm. David, do you have a notebook with lyrics in it already or do you need to hear the music first to feel what the lyrics might be for the song? I've got a giant list of ideas for lyrics. Some of them are just a concept of, you know, a one word or two words of, of an idea. Sometimes I write an entire, you know, verse as an idea and, uh, you know, later I'll reassess, okay, what do I want a song to be about? Or I'll, I'll look through my list and something will jump out to me like, oh, yeah, that idea should be pursue, pursued. And then I browse the rest of my notes and see if any of my writings will fit that uh, that idea. So, I mean, sometimes the lyrics will come first, but usually the music is kind of what dictates how many words I can fit into certain places. And sometimes you have words that you would like to go and do a song, but it just simply won't fit. There's too many syllables or or something like that. And at that point, if you if you really want to try to get those lyrics into that song, you either need to modify the layouts and start dropping syllables and things like that, or you just need to save the idea for a completely different song and start fresh. Mm, mm. So when you went into this record, now comparing it to Conformicide, uh, first thing I noticed is you, you didn't use Steve Evitz on this one. You used Mark Lewis. Uh, wh why did you change the producer? Well, Steve Evitz was the first producer we'd ever used that was outside of uh, self-producing albums. And we decided to go with Mark because he was super ambitious about wanting to do the project, and we all liked Mark's work. So, I mean, a big thing for us is to try to go into places and learn as much as we can. And, you know, it's, to, to learn more, it's not a bad thing to go to different teachers. So what's, what's, and, uh, what, what's the, what, what does Mark do different than Steve when, when it comes to producing you guys? Oh, uh, there's plenty of things. I mean, I'll, everyone has their own styles of how they like the mic things, how they like the mix things, uh, what they think uh, about uh, the musical parts, you know, how, how the dynamics should go between instruments, how many times things should repeat, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. There, there's a lot of differences. It, it would be, we would be sitting here for three hours if I tried to name off all the differences between Mark and Steve Evans. <laughs> so was it a, a quick, quick learning process then with Mark? Did, did you sit down beforehand and did he explain the way he worked or did you literally learn on the fly when you, when you started working with him? Well, a little bit of both. We, we had obviously talked before we decided to go with Mark for the record. And, uh, there, there was a lot of, 
questions exchanged between both sides. And, you know, we went in there with a pretty solid game plan of how the songs go. So as far as like producing goes for Mark, musically, most of what he was doing was getting asked a question by us saying, hey, Mark, I was thinking about doing this or this. Should I do A or version B? And he would go, oh, B. All right, cool. Done. Uh, so, you know, we we went in there with, with a lot of the stuff already fleshed out. We didn't show up unprepared and having to demo things out and trying to un- figure out how the song should be arranged. Like, we, we went in with a, a lot of the fucking work already done. Mm-hmm. So the other big change you have on this one is you changed your bass player. Um, you got Brandon Bruce in and Nick left. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about why Nick left the band and how you found Brandon? Yeah, every everything that led up to Nick's uh, split from us can really all fall under the umbrella of creative differences. There were just some things where we could see, you know, we weren't seeing eye to eye on stuff and we'd rather remain friends and not be in a band together than try to stay in a band and then eventually have something blow up and we can't even be friends with each other. So it was, it was mutual in that regard. And then Brandon, we were already friends with him. He'd already gone on tour with us just to hang out. And, you know, when he found out we needed a new bass player, he, uh, basically, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he basically like, you know, threw his name into the hat saying that he wanted to do it. So we sent him some bass tracks and music and said, Hey, learn these and send us back videos of you playing them. And he did that. And the stuff was great. So instead of going through the headache and emails and phone calls of doing tryouts and or trying to convince someone else to play with us. We went with Brandon because he was enthusiastic and wanted to do the, the job. We didn't have to hunt someone down or try to convince somebody and twist their arm into, into playing with us. He, he was completely all about it, and dude can play. He's oh. also a multi-instrumentalist, and he's a really creative guy, so can- it's, it's really good to have him with us. David, can you point to any new song on the on the record that has his stamp on it, writing wise? Really, uh, just about all of them. Honestly, we we uh, dove in really hard with writing bass lines. Um, he he would have ideas every once in a while. I would have an idea and kind of ping pong ideas back and forth until we eventually got to where we were both like really stoked with the bass lines and uh, the vast majority of of the ideas on the bass side of things were, were from his brain. So if I had to pick one that he had the majority of the ideas for, I would say... It's a really good question. Uh, a lot of the ideas from 
song. Uh, Merchants of Death uh-huh. and Cosmetic Surgery were largely, you know, from his brain, where he just threw something out and we just kind of refined it and tried to get it to a place where it was maxed out on how cool it could get. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what we do with all the instruments, whether it's drums or guitar riffs or vocals or whatever. Um, we, we throw out the idea. And if it's cool, we just try to refine it and try to squeeze as much juice out of it as possible before we're, you know, completely finished with it. And that's it's just part of the refining process that we try to take care of before we go into the studio. That way we're not still experimenting and trying to figure out how, how to make these pieces of music better uh, throughout the entire process. If that does happen, it, it's not very often because we've already done a lot of the the work up front. David, were there any of these ideas uh, floating around for the last few albums and you just never got around to finishing them? Yeah. Definitely have some leftover ideas from this record that I think could wind up turning into uh, songs for a new EP or for the next record. Hmm. Those are things that we would probably pursue the first if we decide to jump into writing mode. And are you able to write on the road when the four E guys are actually in the same room? Yeah, normally when we're on the road, it's just like a riff here or a riff there, something like that. It's not like full-on compositions <clears throat> on the road. There's not very much time for us because like we don't have texts or or guys loading in all of our stuff for us, you know, like we are the road crew. Yeah. So there's not a ton of time to just sit around and, and write by, by the time you've loaded in, sound check, uh, you know, taking a shower, gone to get dinner, and you come back, by that time, the doors for the show are already opening and you're going to be on stage in two hours. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah. there's not a whole lot of time for us to, to write. Um, maybe that'll change someday when we have a, a crew that's handling that kind of stuff. Maybe it would free us up to be more creative. But on the road, typically it's just a riff here or there that gets added to our riff pile. Riff pile. <laughs> yeah, we've got a massive riff pile. We're always adding, we're always adding to it. And anytime, <clears throat> anytime we're writing, we definitely revisit it and start pulling stuff out. And it's funny, sometimes, I was talking about refining uh, things before, sometimes we'll revisit a riff pile and hear something that we haven't even thought about in a couple years and go like, oh man, that's really cool. But I have this idea, now that I have it with fresh ears, to tweak it around a little bit. And sometimes you do that with an old riff and you modify it just a little and it becomes a, a whole new thing. And then it sparks imp- inspiration for you to finish the whole song. Sometimes revisiting an old idea can really light a fire under under your mind for getting some new ideas committed it, to recording. It's interesting, David, you bring that up because I've spoken to other musicians and they'll say the opposite, that if they have an idea and they're not feeling it after like half an hour or an hour, they just will never revisit it again because why work on something that they think won't work over and over again, just move on to something else. 
Yeah, I can understand that for a little bit of time, but then, you know, every once in a while you revisit something with a fresh perspective and a different mindset, and you might hear something, even if it's only a half of the riff that's really cool. You might have a riff or something that you're not really digging, and you might revisit it a couple of years later, and, and it might click like, oh, shit, that, that second half of the riff is really cool. Maybe I should just loop that part of it. Mm, or, mm. Or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, so David, how much time did you guys get in pre-production to work on the songs together in the same room and play them? Because you said yourself early in the interview, you don't all live close to each other. Yeah, we don't. Um, you know, we met up to work out some of the stuff together in person, um, but that was not like long lived and not frequent because it, it gets really expensive really fast to be flying people around all over the place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was done remotely using the internet. And, um, when we got together to, uh, kind of start jamming some of this stuff before going into the studio, we, I think we were, jammed it for like a week or something before going into <laughs> recording and a lot of a lot of the ideas were already kind of like set up we all, all knew the arrangements pretty well it was just a matter of like kind of playing them live a little bit making sure that we were going to be able to pull the stuff off make sure nothing's like impossible to play none of the you know fingering positions and stuff like that are are so wacky that it's going to be impossible to pull off. Because mm, it, it, it's, it's basically just like distilling the ideas at the last minute before going into studio. Yeah, because I'm sure that when you get together in the same room and all plug in and, you know, everybody's playing at, at the song at the same time, how different does it sound than... The other way, you're alluding to there about, you know, you're you're in one place, he's in another, and he's in another. Like, are they, are, do they sound vastly different when you get together in the same room and play the songs? Yeah, of course. There's always a big difference in between playing something live and hearing it on a recording. The biggest thing about live music and the number one reason people never stop going to see it is because it literally shakes your skeleton. It's so loud, your your entire body, all of the liquid in your body and your guts and your bones, they're all shaking. You know, when, when a drum set is, is being played there's and you're in the same room within, you know, 15 feet of it, there's no way you don't feel mm. the hits. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge difference when it comes to, you know, performing live versus listening back. Yeah, now, uh, David. How, when you recorded the record, um, did you record live as a band all the instrumentation together, and then add the vocals and the solos on top, or did you want to do everything separately? No, we did everything kind of one piece at a time. In the future, I would love to do something someday where we do the, the main drum, bass and rhythm guitars all at the same time. I think that would be really fun to get that live aspect across. And, you know, you, you might have to play the song a few more times than normal, but it would, uh, it, it would in the end be much faster to track that way. 
the, the, the difficult thing about tracking that way is you need a lot of inputs to record and to record everything separately and really get it like all all uh, isolated and things like that. You need a lot of different input channels on your recording equipment. So yeah. that's a challenge there. If you were going to record that way, you would need to go into like a pretty <clears throat> a pretty amazing studio that has isolation booths and uh, you know maybe like forty uh, inputs. I'll tell you an interesting thing. I've spoken to a lot of producers. I've interviewed Mike Frazier and Bob Rock and, and some of these guys. And I brought up the live question about a band going into the studio and playing live. Some of them have told me the reason they don't do it is they can't do it. Um, what do you mean? They they're, can't do it? they're not good enough to play together live in the studio to capture what oh, yeah. they want. I understand, though. A lot of bands can't do that, but. We play live a lot, and I've surrounded myself with some really good musicians. So I don't, I wouldn't feel unconfident about being able to pull that off. Mm, mm. So, so David, I just want to spend a couple of minutes just talking about a couple of tracks on the record. Um, Phantom Force, I really like, and I want to know: Have you ever thrown anything at Pete to drum? And he said, "No, I can't play it because his drumming is amazing on the record." Luckily, no. Uh, the first song I ever sent to Pete was a programmed version of the song DOA that's on the Time Is Up album. Because, and the reason I sent that song is uh, uh, I was thinking, you know, anyone that can play this can basically play anything that I would ever want them to be able to play. So the, the programmed drums from that song are not much different at all from what you hear on the actual recording on Time Is Up. I sent that over to Pete, and within a few days, he sent me back a video of him playing the song, and he just absolutely murdered it, played it perfect. So right then and there, I kind of knew, like, okay, this dude can do everything that <laughs> needs to be done in this band, because we're not trying to play stuff at 260 beats per minute with, like, uh, heel-toe double bass drum stuff and uh, gravity blast beats and shit like that. Um, Pete can do a lot of that stuff, but it's not what we're going for in this band. So, um, Pete, Pete is really good at uh, pull, pulling off kind of whatever that needs to happen for Havoc songs. Hmm. And the other song I want to ask you about is uh, Don't Do It. Um, that's probably the big epic track on it. Uh, there's a couple of things I noticed in it. You don't really sing on it until like three minutes in. And and you can tell me now if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that was a might have been a couple of different song ideas that you blended together to make one track. Well, some of the riffs that were in that song uh, had been around for uh, I don't know nine years. Wow, ten years. Yeah, some of those riffs were very very old ideas that just never saw the light of day, and there was a you know same thing we were talking about earlier just dusting off old things in the riff pile and it, it struck a chord and made me go, huh, maybe we should actually pursue this. There's, there's quite a, quite a few riffs on the new record that, that were old, old riffs. I just never got a chance. And with the song, don't do it. Um, the intro, uh, came, came about quite quite a bit later than a lot of the other 
pieces of music in that song. I mean, the intro is a lot of fun to record because it got these twelve-string guitars and fretless bass and slides and volume pedals and harmonizer pedals and all kinds of crazy shit. Oh. It was really fun um, tracking that intro. And the reason that intro is there is it, it seems to fit with the the idea of the song and the vibe of the song. And it's kind of a, I think it's a really cool piece of music and it gives the listener a little bit of a break from all the madness for a minute. Mm. So, final question for me before I leave you go, David. Now, on the last record, you did say that you had a, a major rehab on your wrist that you broke at hiking. Uh, and I just want to know, does it still hurt at times? <clears throat> it still gets a little stiff. It doesn't really hurt. It, it's uh, sometimes a little, like, uh, yeah, just a little stiff and uncomfortable. But it, it's not painful, necessarily. And it's much better now than it was when uh, we were doing conformicide stuff, so... Oh. Yeah. Well, well, David, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the band? Yeah, people want to. I, I'd say the band and myself are most active on Instagram, and I think that's probably the same for most people listening to this. But if you want to find us, just go to Havoc Band Official and make sure you type in Havoc with a K. H A V O K. That's the important part. But oh. Havoc Band Official on Instagram, and if you want to find me, it's just David underscore Havoc. Oh. So, also on the band's Instagram, we've got links to everybody in the band's pages, so okay. we're all okay. easy to find. Okay, so David, what's coming up touring wise that you know is definitely confirmed for later in the year? Well, we were supposed to be doing some tour dates starting the day that our record comes out, but all that stuff has been canceled because of this virus. Oh. And we're supposed to be going to Europe in late July until the middle of August to do some festivals and some club shows in between. But we're currently just uh, waiting around to find out what's going to happen there. Yeah, yeah. I know it's tough for everyone at the moment. Yeah, I think that's, I guess that's the good side is that we're kind of all in the same boat. No artists are just alone in, in that predicament. Yeah, yeah. Well, David, I know you've probably got other interviews, so I'm going to leave you go. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Right on, yeah. Likewise. Thanks I'll, a lot for taking the time. And I'll see you out there. Sounds good. All right, take care. Cheers. Right. Bye. Okay, there is our conversation with David Sanchez of Havoc. And again, all kinds of various uh, packages available up at HavocBand.com. Multiple different kinds of uh, vinyl colors, the CDs, some limited edition stuff with posters and stuff as well that are, you know, a hundred copies of each type of thing. All kinds of good stuff up there. So I urge you head up to HavocBand.com and get the new one five. And also... In case you've already forgotten, make sure you get up to Rat Pack Records and get the latest one from Metal Church from the vault. And, you know, really no fooling, guys. It's our best way we can uh, can help support our artists because they're not out there getting tour revenue right now. So any little bit they can make from any of their recorded stuff, definitely go do it. Some of the artists, too, have uh, decided to open up some online stores and they are selling a lot of their tour merch that they were going to go out and sell on tour. So, you know, be on the lookout for that stuff, too. There's uh, definitely that stuff out there that you guys can help support metal while we are all in this forced lockdown. 
So hope that you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Focus on Metal. Richie and I will keep trying to bring them to you week after week. Right now, as a precaution, I have been recording these about two weeks earlier than they actually run. Richie and I both have day jobs in industries that uh, are still considered essential. So we are actually going out every day and exposing ourselves to the world. And uh, you just never know what's out there. As it is, uh, we are in a, a pretty heavily stricken county here in Massachusetts. But like I said, you know, trying to do this two weeks early so that if for some reason we do end up, either one of us with this, that uh, you can kind of go, uh, you know, uninterrupted. We'd have enough shows already recorded in the can and ready to roll that all I would have to do would be to drag myself over to the computer and do a little bit of uh, computer magic and make it available. So that's what we're doing to try to keep Focus on Metal in your lives week after week to help uh, make all of this a little bit more uh, easy to deal with. And we are trying to make some arrangements to uh, one of the upcoming episodes at least get on to the uh, Skype with each other because, uh, yeah, I haven't seen Richie for weeks now and see about maybe getting a little bit of discussion injected into uh, an episode as well because I know a lot of you guys uh, really miss when we don't have that. And we'll also, whenever we have the time or we have the content that we feel warrants it, we'll also try to put out some extra additions during the week. You know, maybe one, probably not more than two, but at least try to do at least one here or there just to give you guys something extra as well. And just a little bit additional content to help make things better. And hey, also, if you've been, uh, you know, stuck in the house and you're searching and you just found us, then, uh, then welcome. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys stick around for the long term. God knows we've been around for the long term, along with a lot of our other friends out there doing shows week after week as well. So uh, if you are one of these uh, new listeners, welcome aboard. Hopefully you enjoy Focus on Metal. And if you want to find out a whole bunch more of this, we do have a bunch of it available over at focusonmetal.net. You go to the episodes page and there's all kinds of episodes there. And if you see something there that uh, the link isn't working or it's not available, you can shoot me a line at shout at focusonmetal.net and I can see about getting that one put up there for you. But we do have all of our projects up there right now. The Strange Highways project is up there. Our Little Mountain Sound project is up there. Our Kerrang project is up there. A lot of our classic producer interviews are up there as well. So uh, there's all kinds of stuff up there and then just you know, a couple of years worth of other stuff as well. But uh, anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until your quarantine little ear holes hear us again next week, as always, remember. Focus on Metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.